Welcome to Vantage Point Podcast, a podcast brought to you by NWR Communications and 92 Studio. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. G'day and welcome to our latest episode of Vantage Point. Uh, and today's, I believe, quite a special one. Uh, we have Professor Yuman Fong. He's the inventor of CF33 Oncolytic Virus, a technology that's been licensed by ASX200 Biotech Imugen. But in addition to this, he's the chairman of the Department of Surgery at City of Hope Cancer Centre in California, and he's a rock star of the industry, particularly for his work in pancreatic and liver cancer. He's received multiple awards, pioneered new techniques, and written or edited more than 1,000 scholarly articles, 22 textbooks, and had more than 90,000 citations of his work. It's a fair rap sheet. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real privilege to have you with us today. Oh, glad to be here. Uh, now, you're back in Australia, haven't been invited uh, to be the keynote speaker uh, at the BioShares Summit, talking about CF33 in particular and the work that you're doing with Imogen on it. First of all, it'd just be good to get a bit of a background uh, in terms of how you got to this point. You've had almost 30 years uh, at the New York, um, in New York with the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Centre. Can you just give us a snapshot on that and, and what that sort of involved? Yes. So during my surgical training, I was, kind of, I, I was fortunate enough to... I, be allowed to go do research. And what I did in research was really to go look at the human immune system. Uh, at that time, it was really the very beginning of our understanding of what is called innate immunity, meaning what are our own white blood cells doing to fight infection, fight cancer, but also when it's exaggerated to hurt us by causing a syndrome called sepsis that killed us from infection. And, uh, and from there, uh, we started looking at ways of trying to kill cancer using the immune system. And that's how it all started mm. uh, so many years ago. And I was told part of your expertise has included robotic surgery and, and AI, particularly in liver cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Oh, listen, uh, the, the technologies that are growing in surgery now are, are amazing. And so now uh, we have uh, what are called robotic surgery, which is really computer-aided surgery. It's really little instruments that we put inside a human being through small incisions that are controlled by computers, uh, by, but really through us. And, uh, and then we are able to do giant operations through little uh, uh, incisions that allow the patients to recover very much faster from cancer. Uh, so I do mainly liver surgery that way. And, uh, and it's really transformed the field because patients, instead of being in the intensive care unit for many days and then in the hospital for a week, now they're going home, going home the same day or the next day. Uh, quite remarkable how it's changed. And, and so can you tell us about how that took you to the City of Hope um, and the focus on viruses in particular? So I was doing really well in New York City, uh, 30 years there in, at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, which is a, the highest clinical volume center in, uh, in America for cancer surgery. I was also at the same time doing research in my laboratory trying to design viruses that would infect and kill cancer and also stimulate the immune system to go and recognize cancer as foreign and to remember how to fight it if it shows up again from hidden deposits. And in 2014, after many years of work, I decided that I needed a little bit more time in the laboratory and a little less time doing high-volume clinical surgery. And the City of Hope Cancer Center called me and said they had this uh, position open that allowed me not only to run a very big surgery department, but to do less clinical work, more laboratory work, and at the same time also to grow young people to do the next generation of surgery as well as research. And uh, so it just 
all seemed to fit. So I moved back to California where it turns out it's really warm and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it's not like that in Melbourne at the moment, that's for sure. Um, and you've, I, I believe you had a very novel way uh, of explaining the technologies to people. Can you just run us through that? Yeah, so the whole idea is try and find a virus or design a virus that will go and infect only cancer and kill only cancer. And that may seem far-fetched, but in reality, nature does that all the time. If you think about hepatitis virus, no matter where it enters the body, it goes straight to the liver and infects only liver cells. You get meningitis. It didn't matter where it entered the body. It goes straight to the brain. It infects the brain. So it's not far-fetched to think that we can actually find or design a virus that will just go only infect cancer, hurt cancer, and, and teach the immune system that that's cancer and we need to go and have surveillance for it and kill it every time we see something like it. So that's what we, we are working on. And I think we're very close, or may, maybe we have just found that. It's, it's uh definitely incredible and just while we're talking about uh, I think there's something that you used to explain it around comic strips oh because the field of immunotherapy there are a lot of technical terms and a lot of uh, science that is very very uh, complicated mm. and so I've, I've made it uh, part of my mission to try to explain it to everyone as to what we're actually doing because it's such an exciting field so in addition to lecturing in, in, in medical circuits and talking to uh, pharma and other uh, industry uh, folks about the technology, I've also written comic books uh, to go explain it uh, uh, both to our uh, uh, children, to, to uh, youngsters who might uh, find it interesting and hopefully enter the field and be the next generation inventors in this field. So again, it's, uh, it's been quite uh, exciting. Uh, and along the way, what's been really uh, uh, fascinating and coincidental is that because I was doing that, I fell in with a group of uh, comic book writers that are very high-level comic book writers, and now they are out there raising money, helping us go raise money for cancer patients who can't afford the care and can't afford to go uh, to the uh, uh, most advanced centers for care. And so I also now uh, I work with comic book writers as fundraising uh, events to try to help uh, raise money for cancer patients. How, how do you find the time to do this sort of stuff? You sound so busy and so yeah, incredibly talented in your field and you're, you're writing comic books. Are you, are you actually, you're not drawing them, are you? No, no. I was going to uh, say that, that no, it's just too good to be in, true. In, in reality, when you think about comic books, yeah. uh, they, uh, every comic book you see, there's an author and there is an illustrator. Yeah. And it's a partnership. And uh, how that partnership uh, uh, works... I didn't really understand it until I worked on my first comic book, and now it, 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 that's, that collaboration, it, it, it's sort of like the same way I think about mm -hmm. scientists and industry, okay? And, uh, and, and because scientists traditionally have worked in universities and have worked on how they think about processes and new things and invent things, and, but for them to try to take it and make it into a medicine and move, move it forward to, through trials to human beings and, and truly get it approved, that's an entire process that industry understands. Mm. And uh, so the way I think of the author and the illustrator is the same way I think of the academic scientist and the industrialists and the in industry that helps. And uh, uh, the whole idea of the academician being able to have rigor in the science and the industry having the rigor and the speed in trying to uh, move it forward into a medicine. It's, it's all about collaborations. That's incredible. I, uh, I believe uh, while we're on the, the subject of 
being artistic. Uh, you're an avid musician as well, is that? I am an amateur musician, but I very much enjoy something. It. <laughs> something tells me that you wouldn't be an amateur, given given everything else that uh, uh, you're achieving. I really enjoy music, and uh, and my wife and I enjoy listening to it. We enjoy playing instruments, and uh, my entire family. So again, uh, yeah, very much a passion of ours. Can I ask, just in terms of uh, what your usual sort of week looks like? Um, it sounds like you fit an awful amount in, but what what does your usual week look like? A usual week would be. Again, very early rising because I find that... Uh, what's, you, what's early? Early is 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. That's, because, that's early. Uh, <laughs> the phone doesn't ring at that time. Yeah. You can write uninterrupted. You can think uh, without uh, uh, somebody bothering you. And uh, and therefore, I find that early morning uh, a very uh, a good time for creation. And mm. uh, I, I find that early morning to be a great time for thinking and uh, and creativity. And, uh, and then I usually have a very busy administrative day, uh, many meetings, because I have a very big department. Uh, uh, I now have 168 faculty, and, uh, wow. and so it's enormous, and, and there are good things that happen, bad things that happen, and no matter what it is, good or bad, mm. usually means a meeting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so lots of meetings during the day. Uh, I see patients on Wednesdays. I operate on Fridays, and uh, and. And then we try very hard, uh, my wife and I both, uh, to try to get home when the sun is still up because we have a deal. Uh, it's been 43 years of marriage. We have a deal that every time we get home when the sun's still up, we go on a date. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> and does it happen very often? Yes. That's oh. <laughs> a uh, big respect on that note. Um, don't mean to move away from the romantic side, but just uh, back onto CF33 um, and what you're doing with Imogene. Uh, in short, I believe the virus uh, can kill any form of cancer, which is sounds like a really bold claim. Uh, can you just give us a bit of a layman's explanation around CF33? Yeah. So when you think about trying to design viruses or find viruses that kill cancer, we've had evidence that viruses kill cancer for a long time. Mm. Uh, when uh, Pasteur was uh, vaccinating human beings against rabies and uh, uh, it was noted that there were a few patients who had cancer where the cancer shrunk. Mm. And it was, uh, but back then, back in the early uh, 20, uh, 20th century, uh, no one could really uh, understand it or uh, use the information because we didn't even know what viruses were mm. in, in reality. And then back in the 1970s, it was very clear, uh, once we knew what viruses were, that there were many patients that when they would get natural viral infections, they would go into remission for cancer. Starting in the 1970s, investigators actually gave natural viruses to human beings for treatment for cancer. And it turned out measles killed cancer. West Nile virus kills cancer. There were many, many viruses that were shown to kill cancer. But the natural effects of the, of mm. the viruses were just too toxic. Mm. And uh, so it wasn't until in the 19. 80s, 1990s, when we uh, figured out how to do genetic engineering of viruses, that the current era of trying to design viruses for cancer uh, actually came to uh, the fore. But the last 25 years, meaning from 1990 until probably 2024, uh, 2014, 2015, we made the viruses much too attenuated. We were so afraid we were going to mm. make a virus that hurts people mm. that we made them so attenuated that in that entire generation, uh, where we tested probably uh, 50, 60 viruses in humans, there was only one that got approved. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and that virus was a herpes simplex virus. It's a virus that causes cold sores. And, uh, and it was redesigned to kill skin cancer, melanoma. 
and it did that very well and became approved as a medicine for human beings for melanoma. But none of the other ones made it because we just made them too weak and then the FDA and other regulatory bodies were so also so afraid that they would made us go so slow mm. that we didn't make much progress. So that's why the current generation I'm so excited about. And so when you talk about the one that got through, um, what was that one? It's called TVEC. It's okay. uh, Amgen now owns it, yeah. and uh, and they're selling it for a treatment of skin cancer, melanoma. And so where, where does CF33 fit in in that case? So when that was about to be approved, a bunch of us realized that we what the mistakes we had done the last mm. generation. And uh, so a number of us said, no, we just need to reboot. We need to restart. And knowing that we need to make the viruses much stronger for cancer, we now know how to go take it through the uh, regulatory process. Mm. And we thought that the government was now ready to partner with us to let us move faster. So that's why in 2014, I moved to the City of Hope. Yep. And that's because at the City of Hope, there is something called a GMP facility. Yeah, that's mm. a facility that actually makes human medicine. And uh, it's one of the only uh, academic institutions that actually can make medicines at scale. So anything I design in a laboratory that turns out to be pretty good can be made straight to be given to human beings. And uh, that's very unusual in academia. So that's uh, one of the main reasons I moved there. We decided to restart. And, uh, and I chose the vaccinia virus, uh, which is a pox virus. And, uh, and the reason I chose pox viruses is because pox viruses have been used in human disease before. Mm. They were the vaccines that wiped out smallpox. Yeah, okay. There was a time in the world where this disease, smallpox, existed, mm. where 30% of the people died from an infection. And, uh, and this virus was the one that actually took away uh, that entire disease. We haven't had a case since the 1970s and uh, because of vaccination. So this virus has been given to millions of people as a biologic mm. medicine. So I said, let's go and, and redesign it for killing of cancer. We knew that the, uh, the smallpox vaccine can kill cancer, but we want it to be more specific mm. and more potent. And, uh, and therefore, that's how CF33 was designed. It was actually a virus where we actually took different versions of smallpox vaccines and other vaccines, allowed them to mix and match made new viruses, and then we screened them against an entire panel of all kinds of cancers. Okay. The most standard panel that is used in America and in the world for screening to see how many cancers a new drug can kill is something called the NCI-60, National Cancer Institute 60 cell lines. Mm. And uh, so every time you come up with a new uh, medicine for any cancer, the NCI will throw it on these 60 cell lines just to see how many more it kills. Mm. So this time I said, let's, let's go redesign the viruses and, uh, and we made a, over a hundred new viruses. And I said, I only cared about the ones that killed all of them. Mm. Then we added 30 more cell lines that we thought were really important. I, I, it's, therefore we really screened it against more than 90 cell lines and we only picked the ones that killed everything. And then we took the six or seven that we found that uh, were really good at killing any cancer, at least in the Petri dish. Mm and gave it to animals and said, which ones are safe? And CF33 was the 33rd clone that we tested. Gotcha. And uh, it was really good at killing cancer and it was really safe in animals. Less than a thousand particles can sometimes cure an animal of cancer. You need a 10 to the ninth, so a trillion mm. particles to have toxicity. 
And that difference is what we call therapeutic index, where it has effect against cancer and where it has toxicity against human beings. That window was so big, it gave us uh, really confidence that it would have a good chance of working in human beings. It's, uh, I know I keep on saying it's amazing, but it's, uh, it, it, it really is. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about how the drug um, or the virus actually gets to the, hu- uh, the tumour? Um, and are there some that are more difficult than others to, to access you know, in terms of being applicable for this therapy? Yeah. So the last generation of viruses, the ones that were 1990 until mm. about 2014, most of them were given by direct injection into tumour. Yeah. So you actually have to be able to uh, put Pinpoint, it directly yeah. into the tumour because most of those viruses were just not strong enough. Mm. This one is so strong that we believe it could be given by direct injection. We also believe it can be given intravenously. We've also tested it in animal models where we've given it intraperitoneally, meaning just into the belly, mm. where there are certain tumors that grow naturally there. We've been able to give it in many different ways. And, and so I, I'm not convinced that you have to do it in any particular way. You just have to go and design the delivery route uh, with, according to what disease you're treating. And, uh, and that's what we're doing now. We are actually in the midst of trying to figure out what are, what are the different routes we're going to test. And we're already in human beings testing intratumoral, directly injection in the tumor, and intravenous. So just in terms of, obviously, with the development of CF33, it sounds incredible. Uh, and you would have had a fair bit of interest um, from a number of parties. Why, why choose Imugene to develop it? Well... Let me give you the history. That was mm-hmm. actually fascinating, too. So I moved to California because then I could actually have a, a production facility to make the drugs myself. Mm. Didn't have to count on pharma. And that's because I was worried that uh, uh, many times you partner with pharma. They have 50 things mm-hmm. they're worried about. And, uh, and yours may be neglected, not even for any obvious mm-hmm. reasons. And then it would just sit in the shelf for a while. And I said... I now know how to go make a new virus that I think is going to be pretty good, and I know the regulatory path, and if I could make the medicine, I could just go to trials myself, mm. okay? Then that's what I was doing in California back in 2019 when Paul Hoppe from, yeah. uh, and, uh, and Leslie Chung from Imogene called me, said, you know, we, we think your uh, uh, virus looks pretty good. We'd love to talk to you about partnering. And they came out to California to see me a few times, and and Paul convinced me that he was actually going to move it forward mm. and that they were, they were going to go and, and, and take it to humans and, and take it uh, uh, at a speed that uh, made a difference. Okay? Mm. And uh, he convinced me that he can go faster than I can go by myself. And, uh, and it's proven that way. Uh, they have a really class organization where they have some of the best trials uh, uh, coordinators as well as uh, uh, some of the very best people in thinking about manufacturing and uh, and production and and so it's been a wonderful uh, collaboration with them uh, so the virus is already in a multi-center trial and uh, and it's moving along at very fast speed and just in terms of how how often you deal with imugene you know week to week etc we have a call every week yeah and then that's because again they uh, the trial is in six centers in America and it's in three centers here in in, in uh, Australia mm. and therefore uh, with data coming in from ten different centers uh, they ask for my opinion every week as to how things are and uh, and and uh, in fact 
the entire research team gets gets on a call every week to just go over where things are, how things are going, what are the new things that are are encouraging, what are the new things that are worrisome, and uh, and and it's 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 been a wonderful collaboration from that standpoint too, because communications is uh, uh, essential, mm. and in many other uh, collaborations with pharma I've had before. It's radio silence for many mm. months, and then the only when there's trouble that they call you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And there's there's now several companies uh, working with Imugene, um or collaborating on on your virus. Um, can you just explain why those partnerships you know, are so significant? Yeah. So let me tell you how the the road has turned. Okay. Mm. Uh, let me first start by explaining a kind of therapy called CAR T cell therapies. Okay, yeah. and uh, what CAR T cell therapies are are a therapy, a immune therapy that people have been dreaming about and talking about for about twenty five years. And the whole idea is that uh, the people who design CAR T therapies, what they do is they take blood out of the human being, then they isolate the white blood cells only. Mm. Then they, from that isolate, they find the uh, lymphocytes that are good at killing cancer. Those are the uh, active T lymphocytes. Mm. Then they use genetic engineering to train them to recognize something on the cancer cell. They grow them up to be millions and billions and then send it back Mm. and hope that it would circulate the human being and attack cancer. Quite a complicated and bold idea that you can actually re-engineer the patient's own blood into a cancer-killing uh, cohort of white blood cells. Mm. And, um, and so, it, and it has turned out to work for a kind of cancer called B-cell lymphoma and B-cell leukemia, okay? Mm. And what B-cells are, are, are the blood cells in our body that make antibodies. And, uh, and, and when they go bad and become cancer, they either become lymphomas and leukemias, but on every one of these cells, there is a protein called CD19. And that protein is always there, whether it's a normal B cell or it's a cancerous B cell. So they have now been successfully able to engineer a CAR T cell that recognizes CD19, kills everything that's CD19, and use it for human beings. So even if somebody has B cell lymphoma and leukemia and they have failed two lines of chemotherapy, failed bone marrow transplant, if you give them CD19 CAR T, 60% of them are cured. Mm. It's quite remarkable. So that's been approved for human beings for use, but only for B cell mm. malignancies. Now, lymphomas and leukemias comprise 10% of cancers. What I work on mostly is solid tumors, which is all the tumors that are not in the blood, but in mm. the in, in organs, okay? So things like brain cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, and that's 90%. And in the solid tumors, we've never been able to find a protein that we can be so sure it's only on cancer mm. or only on cells that we don't mind killing completely that we can make a good, good CAR T cell. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we said, wait a minute, we have a virus that's really good at infecting only cancer and infects it really, really well. Mm. What if we asked it also to put CD19, this other protein, on any solid tumor? Then would the CAR T cells that are designed for lymphoma and Mm. leukemia be useful for any cancer? And it turned out in animals, we've been successful in doing that. And and just, uh, again, it it all, um, it sounds amazing, but where are you at in terms of actually proving the science? 
in animals, it, it's it's proven. Yeah. Okay? We can do it. We can transform a a pancreatic cancer or a lung cancer or ovarian cancer to something that's targetable by a CD19 CAR T. Mm. But this is where the partnership comes in. Mm. Okay. Because we're not CAR T people. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have to get the CAR T cells from someone who makes it. Mm. And uh, and since there are companies that are established to only de uh, develop CAR T therapies, those are perfect partners for us in order to go do this. And so uh, we are partnered with two different CAR T companies to try to take their CAR T cells mm. that attack CD19 to go with our virus that puts CD19 on every cancer for them to uh, to kill. And uh, so th that's been a wonderful collaboration. It really, do it really does sound like a true partnership uh, when you put it that way. Um, now, the million-dollar question um, is obviously, will the virus work and create a new solution for cancer? Um, mindful of what we can and can't say uh, in terms of disclosure and whatnot, but with trials... I'm very encouraged. I'm very, very encouraged. encouraged yeah. And uh, I, the imaging multi-center trial started mm. in May 2022. Yeah. That's only over a little bit over a year ago. We've already gone into what we call the 10th cohort, okay? And uh, we've been able to test in intravenous as well as intratumoral injections. We've been able to couple that also to... Uh, uh, combination therapies with immuno-checkpoint immuno inhibitors. And, uh, and we are seeing pretty good signals that this virus has good activity in killing cancer as well as turning on the immune system. So uh, again, very encouraged. And, uh, and imaging is moving along at really fast speed. It's uh, a real privilege to have you here, Professor, um, in terms of what you've done over your life's work and, and still striving forward. Um, and obviously working with Imogene, uh, which is ASX listed, it's it's a real privilege to have you here. So thanks very much and good luck for the future and congratulations for all you've done. Yep, thank you very much for having me Great. here today. Thanks very much for joining us on Vantage Point uh, and tune in next time. <laughs>